0: Uproar in the Studio, your I guess now monthly Chinese blockbuster <laughs> podcast. I'm Noah. I'm Reza.
1: I'm Andrew, and this is the first in our new series of bonus episodes.
2: If you like the show and can afford it, we would really appreciate it. If you would contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com/slash uproar in the
0: studio. For this bonus episode, we're talking about wujing's The Climbers, released in twenty nineteen. You don't need to see it, we're gonna give a synopsis for this one, but if you wanna watch it without spoilers, I don't know what there is to spoil. They make it to the top. <laughs> Maybe listen to the show afterwards.
1: We're talking about the movie with Ufe Wu u who's written for Outside Magazine, The New York Times, Eurasianet, and elsewhere. His recent Outside articles on China's pandemic-era Everest descents and the American trying to establish a rock-climbing paradise in Yunnan are well worth checking out. Here's our conversation about the movie, starting with the synopsis.
2: Ooh.
0: Celebrating the legacy of famed mountaineer Fang Wuzhou, this Wujing action climbing epic tells the story of Wuzhou's two Everest descents. The first, in 1960, was disbelieved by the world since Fang's comrade, Song Lin lost their camera on the grueling journey up, but when Fang and Chu and two other members of the original China-Everest Climbing Commando are given the opportunity to summit Everest again 15 years later, they rekindle an uneasy alliance for the glory of China. From the screenwriter and director of Dragonblade, side plots, super slippery slopes, and a solid five or ten seconds of Jackie Chan, this is The Climbers.
1: You said you'd seen this movie before, like around the time it came out maybe?
3: Probably not around the time it came out, probably sometime in 2020, maybe February I'd say, it's like five six months after the movie being released around the national day in 2019 was that around the time you were working on that climbing in china article uh not a climbing china article but there's like i knew that china is gonna attempt the Everest sometime in may this year in march so i was like maybe i should just watch <laughs> it and see how this movie is telling the story
2: what was the hype like for this movie? I mean, I imagine it was pretty big when it was coming out, but it didn't really make much money.
3: Yeah, I I believe so. I guess in 2019, around that period of time, the box office in China were also swelled as some other yeah. uh, pretty, I'd say pretty storytelling focused mainstream film, I'd say. So I guess, you know, when it comes to climbing, when it comes to mountaineering, it is still like targeted at this kind of niche audience, even though it's, you know, it's in a special period of time, Uh, every every film is supposed to be like patriotic and everything, (laughs) and it's supposed to be targeting the whole audience. But still, I believe mountaineering is still not like, you know, just like a normal people thing. So I guess that might be the reason, but I guess compared to other like climbing films or mountaineering films, it did pretty well, I'd say. It's crazy, though, that this is, like,
1: Wu Jing's follow-up to Wandering Earth, and it flopped. <laughs> like, Yeah. I, that has to say something about, I guess, how limited the interest in climbing is.
2: I mean, reading your article on the outside, it sounds like it is becoming a bigger sport, but could you talk a bit about for whom it's becoming a bigger sport? Like, which parts of society are seeing climbing as an expanding sport?
3: Okay, so we are talking about rock climbing here instead of mountaineering, so I guess... In terms of rock climbing, it is still like adventure sport in general in China is booming because of, a, you know, a more robust middle class. They're trying to fulfill their recreational needs and definitely like traveling, outdoor adventures and sport and those adventure sports like, you know, rock climbing, like surfing and skiing. They are definitely on the rise. As for the rock climbers, I guess now, According to the China's uh, mountaineering association, you know, they sometimes gave out this kind of reports or data. I guess now the main, you know, the the people who are playing the sport of rock climbing are younger people, people who are in their 20s and 30s and who are in college. They are newly getting into the sport. And um, there are some like veteran climbers or indoors and outdoors who's been around for like 10 or 20 years. But now the main chunk of this climbing population in China is basically younger people, like college students who are in their early twenties and stuff like that. So I definitely see this will the sport will become really big in the near future. When did you get into it? Not to assume, maybe, but I, <laughs> I got into it last year, sometime when I started to work for Outside at uh, you know in September uh, last year, I believe so. That's okay. around i got into rock climbing so after you left china yes after i left china i didn't know that it was like this huge booming thing and then i started research about it and it just blew my mind you know
1: (laughs) yeah totally but i feel like mountaineering has been a big thing i read about chinese billionaires you know doing everest three times or whatever
3: Yes, yes, there are I guess the mountaineering expedition in China, especially for like Everest expeditions in China, there's always two parts. First, it's like this state-sponsored part, like like every other Chinese sports or like uh, this kind of adventures. It's There's always a national part involved because of China's sports system. It is this kind of top-down, organized system that uh, support athletes, supports the adventurers to go up there and uh, to show kind of this national strength and achieve some goals and uh, i guess now the second pillar of china's mountaineer expedition is i guess the private sector and it's mostly done by those like rich businessmen who have this dream of going up the everest and they will start training they will hire they will be like those uh, paid clients and mm-hmm. you know they they pay for like climbing assistance who are almost always Tibetan. Starting I guess the mid two thousands. I guess yeah they are also going up trying to fulfill kind of their dreams. There's definitely like some some names that I like to mention like the real estate developer of Vanke, Wang Shi is like you know he's he's been up in the on the Everest in two thousand and three I believe so. And when he was, like, 52 or something, which made him, the like, the oldest Chinese to go on the Everest at that time. And he broke his own record in 2010 just by going up there again. And there's also, like, this other, like, you know, names to mention, like, Wang Jing, who's, she's, like, pretty controversial, but she's, like, the uh, the founder of uh, China's, you know, outdoor outdoor product company. Mm-hmm. Name is uh, Toreed, I believe so. And uh, she was up there several times. And I guess during the 2014 avalanche on the Everest on the south side, she like hopped on the helicopter to go to the camp at the 6,400 meters. Mm -hmm. And there was a little bit of controversy at that time. And people are still discussing if it's ethical or not. And Nepalese government says, you know, she did it. But, you know, because just hopping on the helicopter shouldn't be in a mountain traditional sense it shouldn't yeah. be the shouldn't be part of your expedition but you know she said she made it and that the, the nepalese government recognized she made it but yeah i mean there's definitely like business people going up there from time to time yet now we are seeing like you know some people who are not essentially rich who might be like you know insurance sellers they collect the money they try to go up there or they found some sort of sponsorship to get them the money to pay for the expedition i guess yeah business people is definitely a large part of it but now it's becoming more closer to the general public i'd say Hmm. interesting what did you think of the climbing in this movie (laughs) like
1: a lot of it (laughs) seemed uh (laughs) i mean definitely very (laughs) cgi
3: right but (laughs) yeah definitely like it's especially when you see wu Jing climbing or sliding on the ice sheet of the, <laughs> the mountains you you just you know just can't stop laughing oh you know what is the actual expedition is like you can't just you know fly on your on your <laughs> crampon you can't just fly on the poles and just using that throwing that to catch your throwing a rope to catch Another climber. I mean, this is this is probably you know a little bit of rock, like rock climbing or mountaineering. This is definitely like absurdity to another level, I'd say. But I definitely I can see where that is going. Try to build up this heroic feature who was not like widely recognized by the Chinese public, let alone like the. The people in, in America or in Europe because, you know, they are, they've they been into rock climbing, mountain, mountaineering for for quite a while. I don't think any of them really know about who is who is like Wang Fuzhou, which is like Fang Wuzhou in the film, yeah. uh, played by Wu Jing. So I, get, I think there's definitely this kind of frustration about, oh, we Chinese went up there, but nobody knew about us. <laughs> So we want to show it, not only to just to show it to to the public in China, but also the audience and viewership in the West. But, I mean, this is supposed to be like a drama drama story film. So, I mean, I found it really, you know, embarrassing, <laughs> but I don't know if it represents how the general public is viewing it.
1: Well, what's cool in the history of Everest for this movie is that, like, not to take anything away from the, like, 1960 expedition but the like by the time of the 1975 ones there's I, I just kept thinking about this movie that came out that year about a guy skiing down everest in 1970 like a documentary and so, oh really yeah exactly so, like, like a japanese adventure was like well everest has been climbed all of the significant things have been taken. now it's time for spectacle uh-huh. <laughs> like, but at the same time there's this sort of like patriotic i guess
2: expedition to measure it <laughs> exactly. sort of nobody of had phase. measured it nobody measured it the best way yet <laughs> i mean were you were you aware of the 1960 expedition that you know maybe happened
3: yeah i think it's uh i don't think it's a maybe right now <laughs> i guess from my point of view it is it is pretty sure that they made it to the top when a lot of journalists i know like chinese journalists western journalists have been going back to those who are who's still alive right now i guess I guess he lives in Sichuan uh, somewhere. I guess he's like close to 80. Ah, oh, geez, I, f- I forgot his his name. But you know, he's still there. Um, he witnessed the whole thing, and, and uh, there's definitely like doubts afterward for like you know how could they make it to the top without the help of oxygen how could this human ladder thing yeah. be possible and they didn't find like this uh, chairman mouse this little chairman mouth they buried on the top of the mountain um the, as the american expeditioner says but i guess from from other accounts both in china and in the west i guess that expedition is still you know i, th- I at least from my point of view i think that's that's what the chinese did and they 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 made it an an
1: interesting point in this movie though, was big part of it is like you know if we can accurately measure the mountain we have the right to rename it with the tibetan name Uh, (laughs) (laughs) i I don't know i was yeah one of you have something Uh,
2: no no, no,
1: no,
3: i'm just (laughs)
2: just i mean there was so much i think to dive into with the tibet angle that i don't really know how to do it like i mean they you know there were tibetans in the movie but they were like very friendly you know they were a part of the climbing teams and then one part i was confused by was the like monk at the site who was telling them not to climb it
1: was definitely definitely... interesting
2: that they included that Mm
3: -hmm. but like
2: it wasn't circled back yeah like really
3: yeah i think originally mount everest is i guess it's named by british i believe so and i guess the nepalese called it sargamata in their local language and the tibetans chinese they call it chomolama if you like read chinese state media you probably never encounter the word everest because they think it's named by the you know the, the british and they, sh- they should go with their own name because the, the chinese Tibetans sees it as their own mountain and stuff. So I guess in Chinese state media, it's always like Chomo Lama. It's, it's like this Q-O-M-O-L-A-N-G-M-A, this kind of spelling. And um, I guess the Tibetan part is definitely like worth digging into if somebody has the access and the resource, because even like in the climbers like this film, I guess one of the writer for this uh, film is actually a Tibetan, a pretty well-known Tibetan author in China who's won like this literature award in China. His name, his name is Alai, I believe so. And uh, you know there are Tibetan actors in there, so I, I, I definitely see this kind of thing as Chinese political correctness, where we should like <laughs> represent this kind of minorities in the films. That's yeah, that's a weird thing. And I guess from the 1960s all the way to 1975, even to these days, expeditions, the Tibetan has always been part of the story. And, you know, their names have been appeared in this, uh, the, the climbing history of Everest. I believe the first woman who made it to the top from the north side of the mountain is actually Tibetan. I think her name is uh, Pam Do. And like, you know just these small things tibetan is just inseparable from the mm-hmm. climbing history of Everest, and i guess you know just these days in china you feel like this assistance from the tibetan <laughs> feed into this kind of propaganda in china that like we are all chinese and uh, you know th- they are you know you see like people speak a lot about it, especially the th- tibetan you know, characters in the film or like Tibetan sources in some of the, the the news report, you see them like, you sort of see them feeding into that kind of narrative. And uh, that's, that's either confusing to me, but also like, that might be one of the sentiment that's worth documenting. Maybe it is their real, real feeling. Maybe it's not, but at least it gives us the angle to see like there is Tibetan involvement in this film. And beyond like in the history of uh, not the climbing of Mount Everest I guess these years there's like this new development in Tibet it's called like a mountaineering school like it's I guess it's named like China's uh, Tibetan uh, uh, mountaineering school or something like that it was found in like 1999 I guess before that or during the early stage of that China needs to borrow a lot of, you know, climbing assistance from Nepal, like they, the Nepal will just send some some Sherpas to Tibet to help, like, the organizing and, you know, pottering during the climbing and, and everything. But now, after these 20 years, I guess the, the school has cultivated more than 200 Tibetans to assist a lot of exhibitions, either done by the Chinese or, like, Americans or Europeans or Japanese or whatever. I guess they try to train their mountaineering skills. They try to teach them how to cook in the the high mountains. They try to to teach the Tibetans, like even like foreign language translation. They they gave this kind of skills to the selected Tibetans. And um, yeah, I'm just curious seeing how this, where this is heading. And um, it's definitely, I think the Tibetans should have like, has, their central narrative instead of you know just focusing on the narrative of the Chinese nationalism but yeah this is definitely something worth looking into and worth documenting well I think it's interesting too
1: that the last movie we watched for this podcast by the same director Daniel Lee which Mm. is uh, Dragon Blade which a I think probably explains partially the Jackie Chan cameo post-credits uh, and B, I think like that movie is sort of about the Silk Road and also you know uniting nationalities and ethnicities across China. And I think that yeah. may be a thread running through his movies into this one.
3: Yes, I think so because yeah, there is this kind of political correctness all over China. When you see like those representatives on the in the People's Congress, they. Whenever there's like you know Tibetan, Mongolian, or like you know of other uh, other ethnic minorities, you will see like a bracket after mm-hmm. their name saying their you know the, their ethnicity, spelling out their ethnicities, and let you know the people know. Okay, we are including them in our in our political system, you know something like that. And I, I definitely see that coming to the films, especially you know this is a special time, right? So I think the movie definitely tries to
2: do that thing that you're saying like uh sort of like whitewash this occupation but like at the same (laughs) time at the same time it uses wu jing as the protagonist who's just coming off of like one you know wolf warrior which is what like a you know very obviously chinese imperialist role like a in a fictitious kind of region of the world then to wandering earth where he's like a space imperialist and then like now he's just a good climber like i don't think you know what i mean it's like a confusing message being sent by the movie i, think. I mean i think this movie even
1: even including it's sort of bringing ethnicities within china together is it's very hard to say that this doesn't have, like, strong patriotic messaging, which would be in line
3: with Wu Jing's previous stuff. That, that, that's, what I, that, that's what I was saying, especially seeing him doing, like, awkward, weird, like, superheroic, like, <laughs> things on the mountain. I guess that's, yeah, That, that that's really my point. You know, you want to tie in a lot of narratives into it, then that's kind of contradicting.
1: Yeah. I mean, at the, at the start with their dying captain, he says, Get to the top, let the world see the strength of China. And, like, that's
2: just sort of the like, drive. This is thing. our mountain, just like explicitly saying, This is our mountain.
3: Yeah. I mean, this is just throughout the, the whole film, you know, like, y- y- there's like multiple moments when people just shout it out. But I say, when compared to other like mainstream films, this film did like an okay job in solely storytelling you know when compared to like this this film in 2009 is wholly about the founding of the republic i guess 2010 or something it's uh focusing 1910 or 1911 or like you know yeah there's 27 there's definitely like straight (laughs)
1: propaganda
3: (laughs) yeah uh, compared to those straight propagandas this one is I'd say this one is watchable, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And we've sat through a lot of those movies, and I would say, you know,
2: this isn't, like, blindly, you know, propaganda messaging.
3: Yeah, but, like, uh, I'd say, like, this film is still pretty propagandic.
2: (laughs) Yeah, totally. There's some weird elements. I mean, there's parts of the movie that I didn't think really fit, where, like,
3: Wu Jing is kind of just doing parkour in that factory. Oh, that was
1: cool, though.
2: (laughs) I
3: really like that. (laughs) Yeah. I've seen like a lot of great climbers doing like, you know, practicing on hanging board, but I've never seen something like that. And I don't know. (laughs) It was like, you know, secret wire that's hanging him. I don't know. I didn't see it, but wow. (laughs) (laughs) What can I say?
1: If there's anyone who I would believe could do that, it's Wu Jing.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Wow, Wu Jing in the film. Yeah. Right. (laughs)
1: There's like a love story that's also running through this. And I thought that... And I'm going to butcher her name, but Ziyang, Zhang Zhang Ji. there's a moment at the start of the movie where she's cast as like a grad student and she's like f- in her 40s and maybe a little bit too old to be a grad student. Wu Jing You're would probably be a little to be bit too be a grad t- student. Yeah. I, and I mean, it makes sense when she's a meteorologist later, but I, <laughs> there was like just some like Robert De Niroing like de-aging going on in this movie that didn't
3: quite work for me. yeah i mean you yeah i guess uh that's also like a like an awkward part but (laughs) i can see like an effort of trying to build in like a personal story and several just personal narratives into this uh into this mainstream nationalistic film yeah and uh, i i think it's like if, if if it's one of their first tries i'd give it a sum up but like you know, it can definitely be more, like, they can do better, for sure. I don't know if it's, like, the director or the playwright or or some other force involved that just botched it. But, yeah, I, I, I agree what you say. It is is it it is an awkward part. It's the second love story, too, between mm-hmm. the, yeah. like, cl- the
2: Tibetan climber and then the photographer. yeah. They were all kind of clumsy. I mean, it's weird (laughs) that they just... The meteorologist woman just, like, shows up and they're like, oh, you're here too, you know?
1: (laughs) Oh, you're here to die on this mountain. (laughs) And I'm going to send you. Jesus. I mean, it is crazy that both of those love stories... Like, there isn't a happy ending to any of the love stories. The only happy ending is for China, I guess. There is that character change in the guy who, like, lost part of his foot. The original photographer which mm-hmm. was, like, I, I feel like on some level it's sort of like they know they need to have a character arc for someone. But um, I I don't know. I thought that was an interesting change, how he sort of becomes more cautious after that, and Zhang character is like, no, 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 we have this window. You have to get it. And then it kind of ends in tragedy and kind of ends in success. <laughs> Actually, one thing I found interesting in your um, 2020 Everest Climbers article was that 5G has extended to Everest now. Oh, which, yeah, I saw that. Which is, like, cr- such a cool, crazy thing that, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, humanity conquering
3: nature. <laughs> you can just make, like, TikToks on Everest different. now. The 5G tower up there was just was set up especially for the measuring for the for the measuring team just trying to get an accurate height of the everest and uh, i guess that's their primary function of that tower but because there's also like commercial teams tagging along and you know the chinese media was like okay why don't we use this uh, technology to 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 live stream it and those (laughs) uh, you know who those those climbers those 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 climbers who who have millions or tens of thousands of followers on on Douyin the like you know the sister app of TikTok mm-hmm. and you know they, they are just live streaming and doing like this kind of Q&A stuff just on the mountains with their <laughs> with their followers which is which is kind of cool i watched some of them honestly and they were like in the past, it was like nobody knew that you were climbing up there and nobody knew what, what what it was like. And now because of you know the internet coverage and the 5G up there, they're able to talk and they're able to let people see what's really going on up there. And that really fascinates me, honestly.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's objectively incredible. Like, this is not something that's ever... Been, you know, I'd love to see those.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Although, like, I don't know, I think people... One of the things you mentioned in that article is the sort of huge pile up the previous year and how this year was kind of cool in that 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 was sort of impossible. But I wonder if in future, like having a 5G tower up sort of contribute to the the sort of glossiness and commercialization of the mountain.
3: I think at least for the north side of the mountain, that's not a possibility because if you want to climb the mountains from the north side you need like you need to at least conquer one mountain that's above 8000 meters. Interesting. And this kind of selection process is very rigid and strict under the the sanction of China's General Administration of Sports and its uh, mountaineering department. And there is only one authorized guiding company, which, which is like Yarla Shempo based in Tibet. It's, that's the only company that can run the expedition, which is, you know, the company is closely tied with the mountaineering school I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. So I guess, you know, it's not like in the South when people can just, you know, I've climbed like a 5,000 mount, 5, meter mountain, or I've climbed like this, uh, three, like 14er like 14 are in Colorado. So I want to go to the average and they will get the, get the pass and just, just pay and go. It's, it's not like that kind of story okay. on the Chinese side because of the, because of the strictness, but definitely like, I think, I mean, this is the age of social media, right. Or of live streaming. And I know there's not, not only Douyin in China, there's also like other kind of platforms like Kuaishou or, or, or stuff like that, mm-hmm. this will definitely drive more people's will of going up there just to show it, <laughs> just to show what they are, you know, <laughs> this is definitely like a contributing factor. But Let's see what will happen because at least for now, the access to the northern side of the Everest is pretty restricted. I don't know if the 5G signal will spill over to the to the to the to the Nepalese side. Maybe it will. Maybe maybe that will drive more more people to to climb. I don't know. <laughs> Did that tower only go up this year? I think year? I, 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 this year. I think it just went up this year, and it was available for a for a period of time because it's impossible just to constantly sending up crews to mm. to fix it yeah. and to to adjust it that, that that's just like an abnormal environment like you know i, <laughs> I don't think it's going to be there i don't think it's there right now but let's see if it will be there during the climbing season afterward
1: yeah next year we'll or hopefully if there's a vaccine next year we'll see if the nepali side yeah. gets it
3: Yeah, I believe like they're the Nepalese were trying to do like a season this September or October. I was talking to this, uh, I was talking to this guy, you know, a month ago, but Mm -hmm. I recently heard from them that, um, you know, the full expedition of the Mount Everest is is not available. So, you know, this year it's just the Chinese climbing the Everest.
1: Wow. Uh, I feel like that's a good stopping place. Unless, unless either of you have last thoughts on the movie or Everest generally. Cool.
2: <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: <laughs> well, thanks for doing this. This was really fun and really interesting. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. We'll probably have it. Oh yeah. We'll probably have it edited within like, I don't know, a couple of weeks and it'll be up and I'll send you a link when it goes up. I'll We'll probably tag oh. you in some stuff.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. That's pretty fun. And, uh, yeah, I'm just curious about, like, you know, because you invited me on the show and, you know, I, I'm I'm really pleasured and thankful for being here, and, uh, of being here. And uh, I'm just curious, like, how did you guys get really interested in Chinese film and uh, why did you start of this podcast?
1: Uh, Raisin, and I watched Wolf Warrior 2, <laughs> like, maybe oh my God. around All the right? time it came I out. And it. like, you watch that and you're like, oh, I need more.
3: oh what oh my god i was like if i watched it it was like you know that would probably be my last film or whatever (laughs) because i i heard a lot of you know just just pretty controversial things especially like on wu Jing's acting in their message
2: that's a good movie that's like a genuinely really good movie
1: yeah i think it's like one of the messaging is definitely interesting and like that's a lot of what we wanted to talk about and like see if that expands to like like we did um we did a Sky Hunter episode, like bonus episode, mm-hmm. last season, and like that one had very interesting messaging too, and Fun Bing Bing, which <laughs> had, you know obviously <laughs> has her own story.
2: <laughs> There's a lot of stories to look into, I guess, and they're just not covered, so we went for it.
1: Yeah, and I don't know. We've been talking to a bunch of like. Our guests sort of run the gamut of, we have journalists on, we have academics looking at, like, stuff movies cover, but then we also just have people who make the movies, which is always kind of fun and interesting. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we had a bunch of people who did Wolf Warrior too. Like, half that crew was American. And Also, we had the, the guy who did the Inception-y sounding music in The Climbers. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> who, who very much did not want to talk about this movie. <laughs> just because he was, like, very embarrassed by, like, I think mostly by the box office.
3: Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> anyway.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, like, at, at least for this film, I think there's definitely, like, the actors in this film was trying to, you know, bring some of this forgotten history of uh, Chinese climbing to, to the light. Mm-hmm. At least I know, like, Yang Guang, like, the actor in that film was acting, like, acting as like this 70 uh, year old empty climber who's like who, who's from China and uh, I guess the, these are some of the story that that's kind of wor- worth telling and they, they it has a shadow in the film. It's just like worth digging into when looking at it. Just try to well, I guess when trying to see this film just try to circle around the nationalistic, Narrative and Wu doing weird stuff on the mountains. Just <laughs> ignore that part and you will see a lot that's really under the light and that's, uh, that's, not, that's not covered a lot in either Chinese or English language medias.
2: I mean, I think we really tried to do that in general. I mean, it's yeah. like, you know, we joke about the... Like, I joke about the Woo Jing placement and stuff. But, like, <laughs> at the at the end of the day, it's like... You know, it's not like American movies don't have political...
1: Oh, 100%. Yeah, like, but also, you know, like, yeah.
2: obligations or...
1: I wonder if there is going to be more... Like, I, Wandering Earth, because it's successful, probably is leading to like more sci-fi film production. I wonder if this one will, maybe even on a smaller, cheaper scale, lead Mm -hmm. to some
2: climbing films or maybe even climbing documentaries. Well, I think in general sports film, right? I think this is an interesting movie because even though it's not successful, they spent a lot of money on making this. I think there's gonna be, rather than the kind of militaristic kind of nationalistic movies, there's gonna be more subtle ways to do it, like with stuff like climbing. Yeah, Probably something that's going to work a little bit better soon.
3: Yeah, I think climbing and mountaineering as, you know, adventure sports in general is gaining momentum in China and we've seen like the Free Solo when it was introduced to China, even though like you see the numbers, it was not it was not that big compared to the box office in China as a whole, but like you just see Free Solo, the Chinese box office of Free Solo is it's largest box office overseas. Right. I see the grow, see the gross box office income and everything. And yeah, that's really fascinating. And I'm also very curious to see if there's gonna be more this kind of outdoorsy sporty or a little bit sci-fi film coming into the that's set in China and that's that maybe we'll see these kind of film more in the future. Thanks to Ufei Yu for coming
0: on the show. That's it for this bonus episode. Our original music comes from Elliot Saltmarsh
1: and
2: Yehuda of Fist with a PH, and our art comes courtesy of Jay Castro. Follow us on Twitter at China Film Pod, like the Upro in the Studio Facebook page, and if you can afford it, we would really appreciate it if you could contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Upro in the Studio.
1: I'm trying to measure Everest.
0: <laughs> We're trying to buy a camera so we can take photos of our Everest ascent. <laughs> 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 We're t- we're trying to do a
2: second Everest ascent so we
1: can <laughs> justify taking some pictures.
2: We're trying to do an Everest ascent for who? For Emperor Cuomo? <laughs> <laughs> for Upper in the Studio travel blog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, help out if you can, and if you feel like it, have some thoughts or suggestions. Email us at in the Studio, all one word at gmail dot com. We'll
1: be back with another episode next month. But before we leave you, we just want to share some wisdom from the chairman. To
2: read too many books is harmful. We'll see you in a while.